Our first lesson comes from the prophet, Isaiah, uh, prophet Jeremiah in the second chapter. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. What wrong did your ancestors find in me that they went far from me and went after worthless things and became worthless themselves? They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that no one passes through, where no one lives? I brought you into a plentiful land to eat its fruits and its good things. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living water, and dug out cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that can hold no water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John 4, 4 to 18, and verses 23 to 26. Stick with me. It's a lot of verses, but we'll get through it together. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, also known as Shechem, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out from his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well with his sons and his flocks, drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink the water that I give them will never be thirsty. The water that I give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, well, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And we're going to jump down a few verses. But the hour is coming and is now here, Jesus said, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, 
Well, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. As Brian said, my name is Erin Horn, and I work for the Presbytery. And I was with all of you to worship in May, and I'm so happy to be back here. My husband and I actually lived in Avondale for seven years, and we loved the neighborhood. Um, but we now have an enormous family and had to move across the river to a home we could afford to accommodate all of us. But we really love the neighborhood, and my daughters are our PDS. It really is a joy to be with you this morning. There is a movie called The Greatest Showman. It's a musical. It tells the story of P.T. Barnum, a man who overcame childhood tragedy and poverty with a natural talent for show business. He went on to envision and create Barnum and Bailey's circus, which earned global renown and became known as the greatest show on earth. As an aside here, very unusual, but I met my husband at this circus in Norfolk, Virginia. It's a story for another time, but I think I have P.T. Barnum to thank for my marriage. This dream fulfilled for P.T. Barnum completely took over his life. It became ultimate for him, and he had a string of broken relationships left in the wake of pursuing his dream, believing it would give life right back to him, and it did not. His dream was a broken cistern, which our liturgist read from Jeremiah 2, which did not satisfy at his lowest point, Barnum comes to his senses, explained by a song in the musical called From Now On. And these are the lyrics. I drank champagne with kings and queens, and the politicians praised my name. But those are someone else's dreams, the pitfalls of a man I became. For years and years, I chased their cheers, the crazy speed of always needing more. But when I stop and see you here, I remember who all this was for. From now on, these eyes will not be blinded by the lights. And from now on, what's waited until tomorrow starts tonight. Let this promise in me start like an anthem in my heart from now on. Mr. Barnum had an idea of what would make his life feel complete, and he prioritized that idea above all else, and it led to his downfall, his personal broken cistern. Looking to our scriptures this morning, we see a similar concept reflected in Jeremiah's words to the Israelites. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and dug out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This morning, I believe we'll come to see we have a lot in common with those Israelites, and with P.T. Barnum, and also by the mercy of God, we have a lot in common with this woman from Samaria. So what is a cistern? I've got your first of two history lessons this morning. In this ancient farming society, cisterns were essential for sustaining life. People dug them to store grain or rainwater, and this was especially important during the dry season. No water meant no crops. No crops meant no food. And without food, the people would die. The cisterns were dug in limestone, which is highly porous, so they'd have to be lined with plaster to seal them. The plaster could crack, and water would seep out, and this precious life source would be lost. 
In the context here, God is saying to the Israelites, I am faithful to you, your life source, your living water. I offer you myself. I created and formed you. I called you out to be my own vessels to carry my glory, the image of God. I provide all things you need. I rescued you up out of enslavement in Egypt, and I brought you to this beautiful, lush, and fertile land for you to love and to grow. But you were not faithful to me. You turned your interests to the idols and the pagan gods of neighboring people. You were so susceptible to their influence. You've exchanged my glory for the glory of your personal pursuits, and you've made these things ultimate and sidelined me. You've rejected your true life source, your living water, and you've built for yourself these broken cisterns that leak. Ultimately, this is your downfall. You know, as a young adult, I heard this verse about broken cisterns for the first time, and it was so freeing to me. Honestly, I thought, I can relate to that. The reason that I'm not completely fulfilled by this thing in my career or these relationships that I'm running after is that's not what God made me for. They're not supposed to complete my life fully. And then I had a second thought. I can't believe there's something in the Old Testament that's so relatable to my life, you know? But here is God's word standing strong through the test of time. Even now, many years later, I have a trusting, saving friendship with God, but I see this pattern in my own thinking. When I was younger, the broken cisterns I would build were more about the type of car I was driving, how I would be seen, who I would be seen with. Um, but now I've realized, digging deeper, that one broken cistern for me has always been being well-regarded by others. And any time that I've fallen out of favor with someone in a friendship, it has hit me exceptionally hard. And so digging deeper, I've done some reflecting, and I've realized that I have let the need to become highly regarded ultimate. And rather than trusting God's love for me to define me and my worth, I look to others for that. You know, for my husband, I think some of his broken cisterns have to do with self-sufficiency and financial security. Don't get me wrong, really grateful for that. You know, but if we can just reach X in our savings account, or if I can just get that next promotion at work, then I'll feel good about the trajectory of our future. You know, and I'm not belittling prudent and wise planning, but I am pointing out there's a line we can cross where being good stewards is no longer what's happening, but rather maybe we're being ruled by the idea of not having enough and not trusting God um, for God's provision. Well, how do we get from God's judgment over forsaking God's living water and building broken cisterns to Jesus and the Samaritan woman 600 years later? Why is it such a big deal that Jesus offers living water? God is initiating the repair. Where the Israelites' broken cisterns of Jeremiah 2 symbolize end of life, Jesus' living water of John 4 symbolizes new life specifically the gift of the Holy Spirit and a new way of spirit living. Jesus brings new life of the Holy Spirit to one woman first and then through her to the entire city. So the context for this story about Jesus 
is that he had been in Judea, near Jerusalem, and things were kind of heating up between he and the leadership there. So he thought it would be wise to take a break and head up to Galilee for a little while. Now, it's a long trip by foot that he and his disciples are making, and the most direct route to Galilee is straight through Samaria. For most Jewish people, this was a problem, prompting many to take long routes to avoid Samaria altogether. At the time of Jesus, Jewish people are really trying not to have much to do with Samaritans. Why? Here's your second history lesson. 700 years earlier, Assyria conquered Israel, and they used the region of Samaria, which was northern Israel, to resettle lots of other conquered peoples. This strategy was known as population mixing, and it was intended to prevent uprising, the idea being that if all of these people are thrown in together without common language, without common cultural values, they're going to be less likely to organize themselves into a revolt. And so those Israelites in Samaria over time, you know, became influenced by the other people living there. Consequently, the Hebrew people came to regard Samaritans as less than, products of racial intermarriage and watered-down theology. But here is Jesus. He just so happens to go through Samaria and be at the well at the very moment that she arrives, while the disciples are gone on an errand. And I believe this timing is specific, that Jesus had a plan to encounter this woman. As she comes to draw water, he says, give me a drink. Now she is shocked because this is not customary. He's Jewish, she's Samaritan. And as Brian shared with the children, he's a man and she's a woman. And according to custom, this conversation really shouldn't be happening. She said to him, how is it that you're asking me for this? And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so there it is, living water. Jesus is using the exact phrase that's references back to Jeremiah 2. This woman is not even asking for it, but Jesus shows up and begins offering this part of God's character this living water to her for complete life. I notice that Jesus says he has this free gift and he invites her to ask him for it. Jesus is offering her the spirit. And this might be a leap here, but is it possible that she's been putting her hope in broken cisterns too, just like the rest of us? Verses 16 through 18 is when Jesus says, hey, go call your husband. And she's like, I don't have one. And then he points out that she's had a number of romantic relationships. Possibly, she keeps putting her hopes for a satisfying life into romantic relationships. And where has this landed her? Taking lonely trips to the well in the searing heat of midday. Now, I also want to point out that in this historic time, it would have been quite difficult for a woman to make her own way and make her own living. So it's also quite possible she's sort of stuck in terms of being provided for. But the fact that she comes at noonday, and that's what John tells us, gives us a tip. Because most people would have come to draw water in the cool of the day, the morning or the evening. So if she's coming at noon and alone, she's likely avoiding people. Jesus mentions the living water, and she's clearly not getting it. 
And to be fair, he sounds a little cryptic. When he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty, it will become a spring of life, she says, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming back to the well. She doesn't have it right exactly. She's talking about literal water still, while Jesus is talking about something else. But you know what she does? She asks. She does the very thing Jesus asks her to do, which is to ask Jesus for the living water. Her faith is imperfect, weak even, and she doesn't have Jesus figured out by any means, but she's trying. She is doing the best she can with what she's got. And Jesus' response is the most Jesus-y response of all, as explained by Presbyterian scholar Dale Bruner. We can learn from this almost comic verse that even when our faith is weak and our acting isn't entirely right or even quite orthodox, that Jesus still keeps his promise. If you just ask, I will give. And he straightens us out later. It isn't when our faith is large and imposing, like a great mountain or like a beautiful jewel, that we get the Lord's wonderful gifts. Indeed, the grace of the gospel is that when our faith is even the size of a puny mustard seed, as her faith is now, the Lord moves the greatest mountain and offers us the greatest jewels. So simple and so real, does Jesus want people to be with him? When Jesus reveals that he knows her story, she's taken aback. And she says, well, you must be a prophet. You know, and that's when he says, actually, I'm the Messiah. At that very moment, it says, the disciples come back, and they're shocked to see he's with a woman speaking. The story ends with the woman leaving her jar at the well. She runs back to town. She says, you have got to come meet this man who has told me everything I have ever done. Could he possibly be the Messiah? They all leave, and they return with her to Jesus at the well. John goes on to share that many of the Samaritans in that city put their faith in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. Remember that most in his position would have ignored this woman, but Jesus does not. This is the model of life in the Spirit. Rather than ignoring or shunning her, he invites her, gives her the Holy Spirit, empowers her to preach the message of Jesus to her whole town, and she is a most unlikely herald. If you're trying to start a movement by today's marketing standards, this woman is not your best pick, okay? No one's promoting her Instagram to sell products, all right? She's going by herself to the well. And yet Jesus says, you, you, I give my living water to you. I want you to know the fullness of the love of God. I'm touched by Jesus here because I relate to this woman. Half the time when I read the Bible or pray, I have no idea what it's talking about, but I thirst to know more. In this sense, I get her having an encounter with Jesus, not fully understanding, but Jesus takes her imperfect asking, gives the gift of the Spirit, and makes her the source of life for the whole town. And there again, the consistency of God choosing the weak things 
to shame the wise. You know, I could stop here, and this sermon would be complete, that God offers us living water, the Spirit, even though we have all these broken cisterns that we're trying to use to fulfill our lives. But something has nagged at me. The prophetic word that God gives to Jeremiah is addressed to a nation, to a collective community who together managed to build broken cisterns. And this got me thinking. So far, we've applied the lesson of broken cisterns to ourselves individually, and this is what Jesus does with the woman, but what about our collective community? What broken cisterns have we built as a society, a community, ones that we live according to without even realizing it? When I take a second look at Jesus' interaction with this woman at the well, I notice these things. As a community, the Hebrew people came to regard Samaritans as less than. And I believe this is an example of a community's broken cistern. Jesus, through his interaction with this woman, is exposing this community's broken cistern, which frankly offends God. And as he stops to rest in Samaria, he shows us he doesn't go around, he goes straight through. And the first cistern he exposes and destroys is racial. Remember the surprise in her voice when he asked for a drink? You're asking me, a woman, for a drink? So the next one that we see Jesus expose and break through is the most unexpected behavior, this custom of men not speaking to women. Jesus exposes and destroys the community's second broken cistern, which is the hurtful belief that men are superior to women. But the community has established a third broken cistern, a reason that Jesus ought to be avoiding her. The woman's lifestyle is one of ill repute. She has a reputation for living with a series of men. And here, this third broken cistern Jesus exposes is a moral barrier, moralism. Given her lifestyle, devout Jewish persons would have felt justified in looking down on her. But Jesus does not. This is life in the Spirit, having eyes to see and courage to act in ways that may not be customary in our community, because maybe our community is blind to its own broken cisterns, just as you and I are probably blind to our own broken cisterns. Life is so fast, and the pace that we live just kind of shuffles us along. Have you ever felt like you're just pinging from one thing to the next? and that that kind of has control of you, rather than you setting your course and steadily walking life, I believe these are some of these broken cisterns we don't even realize that we have kind of running us ragged. And all along, God is saying, I am your life source. I offer you this living water. Partake. Don't forfeit what I'm offering you because everything else is right here and seems to lie to you and say it's so urgent. What are the broken cisterns that you've built where you're pouring the majority of your thoughts and your energy and efforts and maybe you feel like you can't get out of that cyclical pattern? Where have we forfeited the good gift of living water? 
Or are you trusting yourself rather than being heartened by God's desire to provide for you? May we have eyes to identify these things and see that they won't offer us real life. And may God give us courage to ask for living water, even though we might not really quite get it.